0: Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This is our third week in the Psalms, and instead of taking a thematic approach, this week Chris Hockman and I will be having a conversation about a helpful narrative for understanding books 3, 4, and 5 of Psalms. And then we'll look particularly at Psalms 73, 84, 90, 91, and 104. And to change things up a bit, Chris will be asking the questions and I will be doing the answering this week. Looking forward to it. Hope you enjoy.
1: Why don't we start with the simple one? Where are we in Psalms? Like what is Psalm 73? Why is there something? Why is this an important place?
0: Yeah, so... So the book of Psalms, as we kind of talked about in the intro, is divided into five books. Uh, and those divisions sort of help structure the psalm into, I mean, scholars have a lot of different ideas of kind of what it structures it into, but one helpful way of thinking about it is sort of a journey uh, from Exodus, especially as you start in, I'm sorry, exile. As you start book three, this is sort of the the people getting... Um, getting the monarchy under their feet, getting kind of established. And what we're going to see in book four is everything's going to fall apart. Well, at the end of book three, really, everything's going to kind of fall apart. The poetry is going to get a lot darker. Uh, People are going to feel distant from God. Right now, you're going to hear poetry that's about nearness to God, you know, in 73, uh, especially. And then you're going to move later on into the book and it's going to get darker 88 being kind of the darkest psalm uh pretty much in the whole Psalter actually it's a lament psalm that never resolves right most of our lament psalms we know kind of turn at the end to praise or to some sort of sense that everything's going to be all right and 88 just doesn't do that uh sort of just sits in the darkness so that last line in Psalm 88 is uh you've made my loved ones and my companions distant. My only friend is darkness. That's from the CEB uh, translation. So we're going to see in book three in in the middle of this week, as we're reading, that things are going to get kind of dark. But then in book four, um, we sort of get a reorientation. Uh, We start off with a Psalm of Moses and it's this idea of, okay, we're in a bad place. Now what? And the psalmist is almost saying, hey, we're in a bad place. Let's go back to one of the forefathers of the faith, Moses, and see what wisdom he might have to teach us about getting through this difficult time. And so the rest of the Psalms we're going to read this week are still kind of dealing with the issue that things fell apart and what happens when we're disoriented and things are falling apart. And as we'll see, as the Psalter kind of continues, as we get especially towards the end into 130, 140, 150, we're going to get these Psalms of pilgrimage and this idea of returning back from exile. So the Psalter, some would argue, kind of takes you, especially in books three, four, and five, from the edge of exile to exile. So the fall of the North and the South, and then book four, they're in exile. Book five, they're coming back out and getting to return to the land. So I'd say that's kind of a helpful way of thinking about where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, so. I think Psalm seventy-three, then this really crucial psalm. You know, you talked about how the psalms are structured in such a way that while it's all poetry and we need to look at it as poetry, not as a narrative. Yeah, there is kind of this narrative running through psalms, just on a more higher level. Um, but seventy-three comes up as a really crucial psalm in a lot of cases because we start seeing this this turn. So to go to inside baseball, not that anybody's doing anything with baseball right now. Um, you know, Brueggemann thought that 73 was the turning point of right. Psalms. And where we start to see that there's this, you know, an acknowledgement of why the exile happened. And we start to see the Psalms actually talk about exile. Um, so we start to see this move into darkness, you know, yeah, I mean,
0: so in Psalm 73, you get this, uh, starting in verse 21, you get this sort of acknowledgement that uh, that in some ways we turned away. The way my heart was bitter, when I was all cut up inside, I was stupid and ignorant. I acted like nothing but an animal towards you, towards God. Uh, but I was still always with you. You held my strong hand. Do I have anyone else in heaven? There's nothing on earth, earth I desire except you. My body and my heart fail, but God is my heart's rock and my share forever. Look, those who are far from you die, and I think what we start seeing uh, played out in Psalm seventy three is this idea that that all the psalmist wants is to be near to God, and and there's this acknowledgement that that's not happening right now, and so when you hear in the psalms this, this desire to be to make the. God their refuge and their strength and this nearness, this, this, um, we're going to see it in Psalm 91, right? May he protect you with his wings, this idea of, you know, you think about a bird protecting another bird under their wings. I mean, you can't get much closer than that, right? You hold, you hold a child close to you, you cuddle a child close. And, you know, that's the, the idea that the psalmist is looking for is I want to be close to God, nearness, nearness is something that really matters here. And it's sort of contrasted against distance or farness, Right. Don't be far from me, oh God. Don't be far from my crying, um, but come near.
1: We see these kind of trends of nearness and farness throughout book three going into book four where we get a little more focus on the farness uh, coming through. So like a contrast to that is where we can see like, so we see 84, which we're getting closer to 88, but we do see a contrast in that it's a lot more upbeat than what is about to happen in four Psalms in 88, where we have that like hanging despair.
0: Yeah. I mean, so 84, right. The, the person's almost acknowledging like how lovely is the Lord's temple, right. Your dwelling place. And yet there's a yearning for it. There's a sense in which the Psalmist knows that this has been lost. Um, and is almost remembering what it was like to have it right? So my, my very being longs, even yearns for the Lord's courtyards, my heart and my body will rejoice out loud in the living God. So will, I mean, you get a future tense. Like if I ever had the chance to be there, Oh, I would rejoice. Uh, in verse four, you kind of get this interesting language of those who live in your house. So again, those who are in the temple are truly happy. They pray constantly. And that word happy, uh, uh, the CEB translates it "happy." I believe in the NRSV, the translation is "blessed," and that's the same word that you see in the Beatitudes in Matthew and Luke. So when Jesus is saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," "Blessed are the you know pure in heart," um, he's riffing off of this idea from the Psalter that is this idea of being truly blessed, this idea of being truly happy. In fact, in the CEB, it goes, it maintains this connection by translating the Beatitudes as instead of blessed are, uh, if you turn to Matthew in your CEB Bible, you'll see it says happy are. I like how the, what the CEB actually says here in its footnotes. and it, it wants to describe why it's taking this familiar passage and changing the language, right? And so it says, in using the translation happy, the CEB is emphasizing the flourishing contentment and well-being of the persons described in Matthew 5. And I think that's also true for what the psalmist is getting at. And I like that idea of flourishing. Flourishing is something that we, uh, we talk often about uh, in religious education, or at least we did when I was in seminary. And that is, is that idea of um, good teaching, good scripture reading, good theology leads to human flourishing. And so if you lay that back onto Psalm 84... And they're saying, those who live in your house are truly happy. Those who live in your house flourish. They experience all the goodness of life. They are content, right? They praise you constantly. Uh, And, you know, I was just speaking with a small group today that's going through the Psalms. And um, one person reflected, um, I really miss being in church. They they don't you know they're they're quick to not refer to the sanctuary as their temple right that's sort of odd uh, and a bit a bit weird uh, but they uh, they're quick to say I just miss being in that sacred space and uh, I think we can relate to that today more than we could have you know four five six months ago.
1: It's a reflection for us as well now in modern times as we think about people who don't feel like they can uh be in a church. Like they may not have been physically exiled. Yeah. But spiritually they've been pushed away. And I think, mm. you know, I look at the last couple of years for me have been a difficult journey with the church.
0: I think a lot of us who are just in the church business, quote unquote, uh, which I would consider myself that. I've just my only full time occupation has really ever been in church world. So I just think church. Uh sometimes I'm quick to sometimes in my better moments I can pull back and think about the non-church or, you know, the nominally church or the people who have been turned off by church. Uh, But right now we're so quick to talk about how we are the exiles that I think your comment about other people who've been exiled before this pandemic ever happened is helpful for us to take exactly what we're feeling right now. Those of us who are Christians, who are, you know, regular church attenders, who maybe, you know, we're comfortable going to church every Sunday to think about the feelings we're feeling now and think about the people who, before this pandemic ever hit, were feeling excluded by the church. Whether on issues of race, sexuality, politics, gender identity, uh, these feelings that we're feeling right now, that we're identifying with the psalmist as yearning to be in God's house, that's a yearning that those people uh, had long before this pandemic and are still having today.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's something that that I think is, you know, we as a church, like you said, it's something we need to think more about because we don't always think about it. All right, so let's keep moving through. Uh, I think uh, ninety and ninety-one yeah. I think are useful. Ninety, we see the start of Book Four, so we see that shift again. And like you said, it's a it's a mosaic psalm. Yep. Since it's attributed to Moses, um, that would make this the oldest psalm mm-hmm. uh, of the bunch. But I find these two psalms really interesting. You know, we talked about you know the exile was a bit of a shock, um, and so then ninety comes along. Um, And it's written obviously before the exile. So, yeah, what do we see this transition 90s that transition Psalm into book four? So, why, what's so significant about 90 and why the divide happened here?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so when everything was going bad for the Israelites in the Exodus, so I don't want to confuse the Exodus and the exile, but we're in the, when we're in the first five books and everything's going bad in the Exodus, one of the, hallmark stories of the Exodus where people really got things wrong is the golden calf. And they were like, Hey, we built this thing. We want to worship it. Let it be our God. Let it be our King. We want a King. You know, that was kind of the refrain throughout the Pentateuch is we want a King. And even as you continue past it, we want a King, we want a King. And in this Psalm of Moses, we almost get that, that debate stirred up again uh, with Moses saying, no, uh, God is, is the king. God is the one true king who's been our help generation after generation before the mountains were born, right? Like th- for all time, you are God. And so, again, if we're thinking about people coming out of the shock of exile, so they're in a foreign land, maybe they don't know what's, what to rely on. Their kings have failed them. Their kings are part of the reason they ended up in exile in the first place this Psalm of Moses is a great orientation to remind the people that the only king they need is God. And it also has this great line in there about kind of uh, verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we can have a wise heart, right? So what does it mean to to number your days when you're in a, when you're in an exilic experience, when you're in the wilderness, right? Moses knew what it meant to be in the wilderness, you know, teach us to number our days when every day just seems like monotony and just seems like the same thing over and over and over again. How do you number those days and how does that teach us uh, wisdom? I think Moses sort of playing with that idea here in this psalm.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's definitely this like talking about mortality, which we kind of move on into Psalm 91 with, you know, we see this again, this movement into leaning on God. Yeah.
0: And like all these things that the person is saying to the God, right? God, you are my refuge, my stronghold. You are my God, the one I trust. Verse three, we kind of get this response. Like there's a call and response happening. This is almost like a call to worship um so you would see the person on the front end you know the the leader saying uh, living in the most high high shelter camping in the almighty shade i say the lord and then this would almost be everyone you are my refuge my stronghold you are my god the one i trust then the leader would say these things again god will save you from the hunter's trap so on and so forth okay so you kind of picture this in uh there there are people receiving this blessing or sort of receiving this word And again, we get this reorientation if we take what came in Psalm 90 of Moses saying, hey, God is king. Well, here in Psalm 91, you've got God doing all the kingly things that kings should do for the people. So you've got God, the one providing refuge. And again, we get this winged imagery, which, uh, I mean, it's just this intimacy Uh, of, you know, again, under the wings, like when you cuddle a child or, you know, when you put your arm around someone and pull them in close, right? Uh, There's an intimacy there. There's a nearness. And again, we're getting this play on nearness and farness. And and in this Psalm, it's all about how close can I get to God, right? Um, And at the end, that's why God says, because you are devoted to me, I will rescue you. I'll protect you because you know my name, protection. Whenever you cry out to me, I'll answer. So there's that intimacy of, I hear you and I will respond, right? I'll be with you in troubling times. I'll save you and glorify you. I'll fill you full with old age and I'll show you my salvation. And so I think you get this sense that God is, um, is near, God is close, uh, and God is cert- sort of all you need. In, in a certain sense, right? You don't need a king to give you these things. God is the one who can give you those things. All right, so I think we got one more Psalm we're going to look at in this week's section. Is that right?
1: Yeah, 104, which is actually the last part of uh, of this section. So it's a nice place to uh, to leave us off. So Psalm 104 is
0: so interesting. One, it reminds me a lot of uh, the divine speeches in Job. when When people want to explore how majestic God is they talk about his creation I think that's why the first piece of poetry in fact the first words you get in the in the Hebrew Bible are a poem about God's proclivity for creating God's ability to make something out of nothing is the coolest thing that God does I think uh, for a lot of Hebrew poets and so in a psalm like 104, <clears throat> Uh, you you just see God doing that. You you see the the psalmist literally just explaining everything that God does, and some of it uh, maps onto the creation story in Genesis one. So it's it's just so interesting this stuff. You also get uh, so it kind of has two parts to it. Um, you kind of get the first part in Psalm one hundred four one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, o Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. And then it just goes on for uh, for 23 verses to say everything God does. But then in verse 24, it's like the the psalmist is like, but I'm just getting started. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The world is full of your creatures. So this is one of those um, psalms where kind of right in the middle, you get this hinge that tells you something about uh what what God's creative act means to the psalmist. And and for the psalmist, they're extolling that God's creative acts point to wisdom. They point to wise living. And we saw that right at the beginning of the Psalter, right? Um, you know, that 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 the good life is a wise life. And we're going to see that as we continue into Proverbs. But here in the middle of the psalm, as they're looking at God's creation, he pauses or she, whoever's writing this, pauses in verse 24 to connect that directly to wisdom and then goes on to say more, right? And then it ends with uh, hallelujah. It ends with the first instance of hallelujah in the Psalter.
1: Which is much later than you think it would be, right? Right. Like you think it would come up way sooner than 104.
0: So again, I mean, you know, if we think about the, the structure of books three, four, five, you know, Four is sort of getting around this idea of, okay, we're in exile. We've lost everything. We need to reorientate ourselves. And there's this ongoing orientation, reorientation, starting in Psalm 90 and continuing here in 104 that, again, the orientation is not to um, kingship. The orientation is not to an individual. The orientation is to God. And that therefore, I can actually say hallelujah at the end of this, right? In the midst of the exile in the midst of the hardest thing, because we're not going to get out of that until we get to book five. And that's when we're going to see all those Psalms that we're used to praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're starting to see it start. I think what's interesting too. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'll just say, this is one last thing is, uh, well, while, while Psalms 105 and 106 sort of sit, uh, outside of our readings for this week, they are the last two books, uh, or the last two Psalms of book four and they basically tell the story of the escape from Egypt and uh the wandering in the wilderness they basically tell that story in poetry uh and then that wraps up book 4 and they tell that story and we've we've had parts of the um part of parts of the exodus story told in poetry we have you know the we have Moses's goodbye speech in Deuteronomy and we also have Miriam's song in Exodus, but here we get those stories told in poetry, uh, and they are ended with that refrain of praise the Lord. So we see that same refrain that came up again for the first time in one Oh four coming up again in one Oh five and one Oh six. Again, sort of this sort of this building energy, uh, bringing us out of this really, really difficult time and bringing us into uh, a place of restoration. thanks for listening. You know, in this time of physical distancing, we don't have to be spiritually distant. We are still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. Chris Hockman produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.